finish this at 11 o'clock last night, so I have no idea how long it is. Uh, about six months ago, I gave a talk regarding the elements of a kingdom, but I was only able to cover three of them. So this morning, I'll be giving the second half of that talk. <clears throat> uh, we'll do a short review uh, of the things we covered to re-familiarize re ourselves with the elements we've already covered and catch us all up, back up where we left off last time. And there were a couple people, I think, that weren't there for that. The word kingdom, as defined by Webster's Dictionary, means a territory or country subject to a king. An undivided territory under the dominion of a king or monarch. The foreign possessions of a king are not usually included in the term kingdom. It also carries a definition of the inhabitants or populations subject to a king, according to Webster's. Strong's defines the Old Testament word as dominion, that is, abstractly, the estate or rule, or more, more concretely, the country or realm. Strong's defines the New Testament word the same way except for a slight change to the beginning of the definition. Properly, royalty, that is, abstractly, rule, or concretely, a realm. With that in mind, let us consider the elements required to have a kingdom of any sort. A territory, a capital, a king, co-rulers, subjects, and laws. The word territory comes from the two Latin words terra, meaning earth or land, and orium, which denotes a place. Therefore, territorium means a place on earth or land around a town or domain. Seeing that the hope of a kingdom came from the covenant made to Abraham, we'll turn to Genesis chapter 15, verse 18, to find the vast amount of land that was covenanted to him. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. In the same day... Yahweh made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. This land is later called the first dominion, as we find in Micah 4.8. But, as we know from other passages, this is not the whole land that will be incorporated into the kingdom. For Yahweh says, But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of Yahweh. Numbers 14, verse 21. It is, it is common for a kingdom or empire to have a capital within the original borders it possesses, but its influence and rule stretch far beyond the borders of the country. This was the case in the Roman Empire, the Grecian Empire, the British Empire, and many more. It will be no different in the kingdom to come. The primary territory or first dominion of the kingdom will be the borders of Israel as they were promised to Abraham from the river of Egypt under the great river, the river Euphrates. But its influence, laws, and proclamations will extend over the face of the whole earth as we see from Daniel chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. Daniel 2, 34 and 35. <clears throat> Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, 
that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote that, the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. The capital of a kingdom is the abode of the king, and is usually the most prestigious city in the kingdom. In most kingdoms, the center of worship is within the capital city. If a, if a capital isn't established within a kingdom, then there would be mass confusion because there would be no certain place from which the laws and pronouncements of the king were coming. Yahweh has always looked favorably upon Jerusalem, except in times of extreme sinfulness by those inhabiting it. Yahweh has pronounced that they shall call Jerusalem the throne of Yahweh, and all nations shall be gathered unto it to the name of Yahweh to Jerusalem. Jeremiah 3.17 and thus saith Yahweh, I am returned unto Zion, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, and the mountain of Yahweh of hosts, the holy mountain. Zechariah 8.3 And many nations shall come, and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth from Zion, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. Micah 4.2 Jerusalem in that day will be the center of worship, the center of learning, and the center of government for the kingdom. Let's turn to Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 20. Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, It shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities, and the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before Yahweh and to seek Yahweh of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come and seek Yahweh of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before Yahweh. Thus saith Yahweh... Oh, just verse 22 there. So we see from the evidence that a capital is a required part of the kingdom in Yahweh's eyes, and he has chosen Jerusalem to put his name there, to beautify its appearance in the sight of the Gentiles, and will call all people unto himself, that they may learn of him. For Jerusalem is where he will build his temple, that all nations shall flow unto. The king should be the second most important figure in a true kingdom. The first most important figure is to be Yahweh. The king is to be chosen by and be an extension of Yahweh by following God's righteous laws and conducting himself in a manner that reflects Yahweh. The king can lead the country in a good or bad direction just by what he practices, which is why it is important that the king be the anointed of Yahweh and not just whoever is picked next by the previous king, called a hereditary monarchy, or picked by the subjects of the kingdom, called democracy. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God spoke to David concerning his seed. Let's read a little bit there in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. 
He shall build an house for my name, and I will and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. It's unclear here in the reading of Second Samuel chapter 7 if Yahweh simply promised these things to David or if, it is, if, if he made a covenant with David. But in Psalm chapter 89, verses 3 and 4, Yahweh himself claims that he made a covenant with David. Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. This seems to point out very clearly that a covenant was made with David and all covenants require bloodshed to ratify them when they're made between God and man. So the blood of the everlasting covenant ratified and confirmed not just the Abrahamic covenant but also the Davidic which is just an extension of the Abrahamic covenant because the Davidic covenant cannot stand alone because it promises David's son to have a throne set up forever, but it does not give the land, the subjects, the co-rulers, and such things as are required to have a kingdom. The line of the tribe of Judah is a position Christ the king will take when Yahweh sends him to set up this, this kingdom. But we know he did not take that position during the first advent, and thus must not have been a king at that point, but rather was anointed to be king by the ratification of the Davidic covenant through his death, and now sits on the right hand of his father, awaiting the time that the crown shall be handed to him. His enemies become his footstool, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. We've now reviewed the territory, the capital, center of government and worship, and the king. Next, we'll be touching on the co-rulers, then the subjects, and finally, the laws of the kingdom. The co-rulers in the kingdom will be those which exercise authority over the nations alongside Christ. They are immortal beings, but not the angels which work out Yahweh's will on the earth now. Uh, we can see that from Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2, verse 5. <clears throat> For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. In the parable of the talents, and other parables as well, Christ speaks of himself as leaving and coming back. Those which he entrusts his goods to are referred to as his servants. It is only his servants that he reckons with at his return to give reward or punishment because his servants are the inheritors of the Abrahamic promises, as Galatians 3, 26 through 29 and Romans 8, 17 say. For Galatians 3, 26 through 29, For ye are all the children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is male, neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
So through baptism, we put on Christ, become Abraham's seed, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, and inheritors of the Abrahamic promises. In other words, saints. As we read, it is only through baptism that we put on Christ, and it is only by putting on Christ that we become heirs of the promises to Abraham. The promise of resurrection cannot be found anywhere in the scriptures outside of the Abrahamic promise, and resurrection is the central theme of the Abrahamic covenant, since the majority of people who entered into it are already dead. This doctrine, resurrection being only for those in Christ, can also be seen in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 as well. I've inserted a few word changes into this passage from the Strong's definitions of the words to make it a little easier to understand for myself. So Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. For this reason we are buried with him, or with Christ, by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was awakened from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united to the resemblance of his death, that is, if we have been baptized, we will be likewise resurrected. The Apostle Paul says, this is the reason that we were baptized, so we will be resurrected just as Christ. Brother Lynn pointed out at the September gathering that there are lots of ifs in the Bible, and these are conditional statements. Meaning, you have to do this if you want this to happen. Here in verse 5, we have a conditional statement. If we are baptized into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, then we will be resurrected just as he was. If we happen to die before Christ returns to the earth. Resurrection, then, is conditional upon baptism and entering into the Abrahamic covenant through Christ's blood and can be attained by no other means, according to this scripture and many others. It is the requirement of God that only those which are Christ's be raised from the dead at the sound of the trump, because it is by the blood of the covenant that the prisoners are sent forth out of the pit, wherein is no water, as Zechariah 9.11 says. These are the saints which are spoken of in Psalm 50, verse 5, as being gathered together unto God, those which have made a covenant through sacrifice to be judged of him. The saints are special individuals who have been called out of the world and come into the Abrahamic covenant. These, if they stand faithful during their probation and through much tribulation, will be granted immortality in order that they might live and reign in the thousand years. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Yahweh foreknows certain individuals and determines beforehand that they will come into contact with the truth. This is the calling, and those who are here responded in a positive manner to that calling. We are then justified at baptism, 
and we will be glorified with Christ if we walk in accordance to the way God has set forth before us. Revelation chapter 5. Verses 9 and 10. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. This is sung to the Lamb which was slain but is alive. Those who sing it are the saints which have been purchased through the blood of the Lamb out of every nation and have been found worthy at the judgment seat. It is their duty as the redeemed from among men to work out Yahweh's will on the earth, starting with the execution of the judgments written against the nations and then subjecting the whole earth to the rule of Christ during the setting up of the kingdom of God. We'll read from Psalm 149, verses 5 through 9. Psalm 149, verse 5. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye Yahweh. After the earth is in subjection to the rule of Christ, it will be the duty of the immortalized saints to instruct the nations in the way of righteousness. The cities will be divided up and governors set over them from among the saints to judge and instruct them. I believe this can be seen in Exodus chapter 18. Exodus 18, 13 through 24. <clears throat> And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another. And I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, and I will give thee counsel. And God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to God word, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten, tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, 
Then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he had said. Jethro here tells Moses that it is a weariness to Moses, but it is especially a weariness to the people to stand all day waiting to be judged by one man. He instructs Moses to set up other judges to take care of the smaller matters of the people so that every single individual doesn't have to come before one person to be judged. In verse 23 he says, If thou do this thing, and God command thee so. This, I think, is the key. Moses did end up setting judges over the people to take care of the small matters, which means Yahweh approved of this method. Because there will still be many mortal people in the earth after the kingdom is set up, I believe it will be necessary that for this system to be set up again so that the people aren't wearied by trying to bring all their causes to Christ. They also wouldn't all be able to learn directly from Christ at one time, so to be instructed by these judges or governors of the cities will be more beneficial to all the inhabitants of the earth that are left. Turn to Micah chapter 4. Micah 4, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> but in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of Yahweh of hosts has spoken it. For all people will walk, every one in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of Yahweh our God forever and ever. It says, he will teach, he will judge, he will rebuke. The he we are referring to here is Yahweh, but he will not personally do these things. The immortal saints will have this task. They will be the perfect manifestations of Yahweh and will do exactly what he would do in every situation. Therefore, they will teach the nations of Yahweh's way. They will judge many people, and they will rebuke strong nations afar off. The nations will have to be taught that war has no place before they will beat their spears and swords into useful tools and can sit under their vine and fig tree. Verse 5. For all people will walk, every one in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of Yahweh our God forever and ever. This is confusing reading it in the King James Version, but the Strong's meanings for these words makes it clearer, I think. All people means a people as a congregated unit, which makes me think of a city. Specifically, a tribe, figuratively, a flock. In the name means a name as a mark or memorial of individuality, by implication honor, authority, character. And God here is Elohim, mighty ones. This word, according to Strong's, is sometimes used, sometimes used to denote magistrates 
and has translated judge and judges on more than one occasion. So all people, cities, flocks, or tribes, will walk in the name of their mighty ones, magistrates, judges. They will walk under the authority of their judge, which is a mark of the individuality of each judge's responsibilities and abilities. This is why in the parable of the pounds, one servant received ten cities and another five. The responsibilities will be measured out according to the abilities and strengths of each saint. Not everybody will be a governor or judge. Not everybody will be a teacher or doorkeeper of the temple. Not everybody will sit with Christ judging the tribes of Israel. But everyone that is accepted into the kingdom will have a place of prominence, and the position he or she is given will be necessary, glorifying to both God and that individual as a co-ruler with Christ. The mortal subjects which are under the authority of Christ and his co-rulers will be divided into two parts. The first will be the Israelites, and the second will be all people that are left of the nations. We are told that before Christ and the saints come up from Sinai, a great host will come against Jerusalem to fight against it, and will take many people captive and scatter the majority of the Jews from the land. Those are the circumstances under which Christ return, returns to Jerusalem and defeats the host which has come against Israel, according to Zach Zechariah and Ezekiel and other prophets. The Jews must then be gathered out of the nations to which they were scattered or have been living in for many years. We can read about this in Micah chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. In that day, saith Yahweh, will I assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted, and I will make her that halteth a remnant, and her that was cast off a strong nation, and Yahweh shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. And thou, O power of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. It is Israel that halteth, has been driven out, and is being afflicted. The kingdom will be restored to Israel, and they will have a righteous king ruling over them at that time, which will lead them out and bring them in as sheep. In Jeremiah 50, verses 4 and 5, we're told, In those days and at that time, saith Yahweh, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping. They shall go and seek Yahweh their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces thitherward, saying, Come, and let us join ourselves to Yahweh in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. The children of Israel and Judah shall go, go together weeping, seeking after Yahweh. They have not been one nation in almost 3,000 years, but when they learn they have not been serving Yahweh in his prescribed way, they will repent and weep and come together as one nation, asking for the old paths and seeking to enter into Yahweh's covenant. Not the covenant they will make with Yahweh, but the covenant Yahweh will make with them. We can read more about this in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37 verses 21 through the end of the chapter. 
and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And David my servant shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes to, and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein our fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, and I will be their sanctuary, and I will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them, yea, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, Yahweh, do sanctify Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. They're gathered out of the nations as sheep with no shepherd, given a shepherd to guide them in the judgments and statutes of Yahweh, will have a covenant of peace made with them, and the sanctuary of God will be among them again. These are the only people that receive promises and blessings such as these. Therefore, they are in a different class from all other mortal nations in the kingdom. For the Jews specifically, God has said, for with the Jews specifically, God has said in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith Yahweh. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith Yahweh, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know Yahweh, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith Yahweh. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. These are the children of Abraham, who Yahweh, Yahweh says he will never cast off, but on the contrary will return to bless them and call them his sons and daughters. For they are the very apple of his eye, and will hold an exalted position in the kingdom above all other mortals alive at that time. <clears throat> the second class of people are the Gentiles, which are alive after the pouring out of Yahweh's judgments on the nations. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah 12, 14 through 17. Thus saith Yahweh against all mine evil neighbors that touch the inheritance which I have caused my people Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them out of their land and pluck, the pluck out the house of Judah 
from among them. And it shall come to pass, after that I have plucked them out, I will return and have compassion on them, and will bring them again, every man to his inheritance, and every man to his land. And it shall come to pass, if they will diligently learn the ways of my people, to swear by my name, Yahweh liveth, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then shall they be built in the midst of my people. But if they will not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, saith Yahweh. Only those who are willing to bow down to Christ and submit themselves to his rule will be allowed to live and learn the way of righteousness. Those who reject Christ or refuse to submit to the way which Yahweh will prescribe will be destroyed. Let's also read from Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah 56, 6 and 7. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to Yahweh to serve him and to love the name of Yahweh to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant, covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. Here we're told that the sons of the strangers, or Gentiles, will be received into the, into the temple of God, and their sacrifices will be acceptable to Yahweh, because those, who, those which truly hunger and thirst for Yahweh's righteousness will be filled, as we read here and can read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 8. I already read this, but we're going to read it again. Zechariah 8, 20-23 Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, It shall yet come to pass that there shall come people, and the inhabitants of many cities, and the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before Yahweh, and to seek Yahweh of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek Yahweh of hosts in Jerusalem, and to pray before Yahweh. Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that Yahweh is with you. We just read how the house of Yahweh would be made a house of prayer for all people in Isaiah, and here we're told the same thing. Many people and strong nations of every language will be looking to pray before Yahweh, and to search him out by prayer and worship, as the word seek in verse 21 means. These nations are to come up year by year to worship and keep the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, as Zechariah 14, 16 tells us. Let's go ahead and read that since we're close to it. Zechariah 14, 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all nations all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, Yahweh of hosts, to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. The Gentiles then will be subjects, but the Israelites are the people of the kingdom. They are, in the, they are the inheritors of the promises and land of the kingdom. Whereas the Gentiles are subjects to the king, since the dominion of the kingdom stretches over the whole earth. I don't have much time left, so I'll quickly summarize the laws 
that will be in effect. We've already read how the nations will come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles each year. And if we had time, I'd read uh, the scriptures in Ezekiel that speak of the Passover being reinstituted and the laws and offerings of the law of Moses being used in the kingdom age. The feasts, offerings, and laws which were originally used as a schoolmaster for the children of Israel will be used during this age to guide and instruct the nations of what Yahweh expects of them. For the law shall go forth from Zion and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. The Jubilee year, the Sabbath, and the new moon will be observed by all people because, as we read in Jeremiah 12, 16, those which diligently learn the ways of Yahweh's people the ways of God's people and swear by his name will be built up, but those who don't obey will be plucked up and destroyed. In order for the glory of Yahweh to cover the earth, it is necessary that his law be used by all people everywhere, for it is holy, just, and good, but anything that is contrary to it is sin and darkness. The word gospel means the good news and glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. What is the news and tidings of the kingdom of God that makes it so good and delightful? It's that Christ will return and set up the kingdom on earth soon. It's that there are people being chosen out of every nation and language to be part of that kingdom and help Christ in setting it up. It's that Jerusalem will be favored again among the nations and Yahweh will set up his temple there so that all nations can flow unto it and praise his name. It's that he will, he will gather the remnant of Israel out of the nations and bring her to Zion with joy and gladness and will place her among the nations in prominence again. The good news is that the curse will be lifted from the earth and the wild beasts will be tamed and righteousness and peace will prevail in a way that has not been seen in the history of mankind. These things are good news and glad tidings to the ears of the righteous. I can't imagine not wanting to take part and help Christ bring this to fruition. This is our whole hope and desire, brethren, and soon it will be made to grow. Behold, I come quickly, says Christ. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments. Surely I come quickly, amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Have a memorial hymn at this time.